holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Para el directo. Gol. Sutton United 0, Arsenal 1, Lucas Pérez. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnar Blog, goodly morning to you, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I guess it is. How have you been? How was your last week? Anything uh, terrible and dispiriting and awful and depressing happen? Or? Um, apart from Arsenal? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was alluding to. I mean, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, have you recovered from that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Look, life goes on. It's only a game. Can't take it all too seriously, etc., etc., I guess, or something. Yeah. That's you what know. these cliches are for, times like this. Absolutely. That's, what's, that's what uh, gets us through these dark times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, look, you know, I think we, uh, we come into today's podcast uh, rejuvenated, refreshed, absolutely uh, filled with the football spirit after what was a, a glorious, hard-fought, and a very impressive win over the uh, the mighty Sutton United. I mean, it, it was good, of course, uh, for all of us, apart from the people who wanted us to lose last night. They won't which, be which happy this morning. People, presumably. Well, I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about the... Um, I'm not talking about the neutrals. the neutrals. I'm talking about certain Arsenal fans who uh, uh, wanted us to lose uh, because, well, it sort of suits their uh, their other points of view, you know. Their agenda. They'd made all these banners, especially. It would have been helpful if we could have at least lost to well, facilitate I, the, the erecting of said banners. I, I don't even mean, mean the banner people. I mean, that you know, that terrible person, um, that really awful person. Oh, that guy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to spend my... I, I, I don't know if it'll be clear who we're talking about. Do you think it's clear? Oh, the um, big fat cunt guy. Yeah, the big fucking stupid, fat-headed, thick-neck wanker who's on the TV all the time, who is, you know, a professional troll, basically. You know the guy? Yeah, I think they know the guy. Well, I, I mean, it's... When I see him retweeted on my timeline, I, I despair. I generally spend most of my time trying to avoid anything that Yeah, so out. do I, so do I, you know, and and to be fair, I think that's the best policy for the most part is to ignore because, you know, when you are that kind of a person, when you say edgy, provocative things uh, on Twitter that you know are simply going to get a reaction, that's kind of playing into, uh, into their hands because that's what they want. They want people to react in that way. They want people to go, oh, oh, this is outrageous. But at the same time, if you're holding yourself up as some kind of uh, super supporter of the club, somebody who only wants the best for Arsenal Football Club and you're demanding the best, wanting them to lose a game just shows you up for being the big hypocritical cunt that you are. That's why I think sometimes it's worth just reminding people, um, you know, you, you can you can be all for change. You can advocate for a change of manager, a change of board, a change of whatever else. But the minute you go, to, you go down the road of wanting your football team to lose a game, then you're just a massive prick. And I don't think there's any escaping that. I completely, completely concur. And look... At, l at the very least, you know, he would have been left disappointed by the result because we didn't lose. We did indeed uh, slay the Sutton giant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Them and the magic of the FA Cup took an absolute pounding, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a... There was some, a little bit of magic about the occasion. I don't think it was a great game, but it was a, certainly an interesting watch, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, the build-up was really quite cool, and you look at the stadium, you look at all the people 
uh, milling around in this really tiny stadium, this strange pitch that we had to play on, you know, the dressing rooms and all that kind of stuff, you know, which is a long way from uh, the dressing rooms at, at Emirates Stadium. I don't know if you've ever been in the in the in the home dressing room. It's like it's it's complete luxury and then of course you're in this i don't know two, six foot by six foot bockety room at Sutton United mm. and you know the change of scenery i think is great you know i think there was something quite surreal about the the whole build up and the setup to the game but at the same time you know there were bits of it that you know i i can't necessarily get on board with um you know it's great for Sutton and i i love the um Arsenal wanted to donate their share of the gate receipts because that's the way that gate receipts work in the FA Cup. They're a 50-50 split. So if they'd gone to the Emirates, um, if we'd been drawn at home against Sutton, they would have got a huge payout. But Arsenal wanted to donate their um, £50,000, whatever that was, uh, of the £100,000 gate receipts and weren't allowed by FA rules, but um, still have decided to make a donation uh, in that amount to Sutton to help them redevelop the facility. So I think from that point of view, it's really good to see um, you know, Arsenal uh, behaving in that way and also that there is still something to the FA Cup despite the fact that television companies uh, and betting companies uh, are, are trying to ruin it and the FA, of course, are trying to ruin the competition as much as possible by fucking around with it as much as possible that there is still this connection to what the FA Cup should be. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, Arsenal deserve credit for the way in which they handled the tie and made sure that it was a bit of a spectacle, not just in terms of the players that they took down, the fact that they, uh, you know, brought Alexis Sanchez on the pitch, the way they conducted themselves, they embraced the atmosphere, embraced the environment. And I think, and the 50 grand or whatever it is that they've said they'll pay for a couple of classrooms at the club. So I, I think it was, you know... I spoke to a couple of away fans, actually, travelling Arsenal fans who went to the game and they both said that it was the most fun they've had in their away game for, for a long, long time. And mm. I think for people, particularly those people who were out in Munich, it was probably uh, a really welcome break from the kind of stuff we usually see. Sure, absolutely. You know, and I, th- I thought it was quite funny as well when they were interviewing Arsene Wenger before the game, you know, and they had the, the background for the TV bit, you know, so it looks like they could be in this, uh, you know, uh, TV studio or something like that. Mm. And then they pan out and there's basically a couch where the the Sutton reserve goalkeeper sleeps three nights a week because he sweeps up the pitch and all this kind of stuff. And they're saying to Arsene Wenger, you know, you know, look at this. And he's going, well, yeah, this is this is great. This is what football is. You know, this is where I come from. The club that he came from in the Alsace in France was a, a club very much like that. And I think people forget that you know, uh, just because Arsenal is a top Premier League club and you're dealing with these fantastic facilities all the time, that there are still people in the game who remember, um, you know, where they came from and how they came uh, to to be at a club like Arsenal. So that was, that was quite cool as well. I think they were kind of expecting him to go, you know, this is terrible. And he's going, no, this is great. I respect this a lot, you know. So uh, from that point yeah. of view, I thought it was nice. Well, I guess, as he says, that's where he comes from. And also, I thought it was interesting, he was asked specifically about the dressing rooms, and he was like, I love this dressing room because the the players are all close together. You know, it's so good for unity. Uh, it means you go out there in a more united spirit. I don't like it when everyone's sat far apart. Mm-hmm. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, didn't you design the dressing room at, the, <laughs> at Emirates? <laughs> you should have just designed it like this, and then we would have loads of spirit, just in some shitty little cupboard uh, <laughs> all huddled together. Exactly. Get but, changed under the stairs, you pan fuckers that's exactly, exactly yeah. yeah uh but i yeah i mean look there were you talk, you spoke about things about the game that you didn't like i mean w- was that the kind of uh patronizing refereeing where Sutton were allowed to do stuff that's just not really in the rules yeah yeah i mean i you know look here's here's where it gets annoying right let's say that arsenal are winning 4 or 5 nil and the sutton captain is on a yellow card in the 85th minute and an Arsenal player goes through on goal and he, he sort of makes us a clumsy foul. That's a very obvious second yellow card. And the referee doesn't want to spoil his day and, you know, uh, I guess we wouldn't call it common sense, decides not to give him a yellow card in those circumstances. I don't think anybody would really complain that much. Right. Because you're showing just a little bit of leniency and common sense. And under the circumstances, you can you can understand it. But when Granit Xhaka gets a yellow card for what was a foul, fairly cynical foul, hands up, that is a yellow card. When when the same rules don't apply to the opposition, 
it, it's a bit frustrating. And when they sit there in the dress or in the, the TV studio or the TV room at halftime and they're chuckling over, isn't that a proper tackle? Isn't this, you know, isn't it great to see them get stuck in? Well, look, it, it is then. But is it OK if Arsenal get stuck in? Or are we wankers for you know being big and mean to uh, to non-league opposition? You know, I thought the uh, the the challenge on Alex Awobi was was really bad, really bad, and that yeah. they they laughed about it on BBC and Graham Lasso said, "Oh, that's a proper tackle. You wouldn't get away with that in the Premier League." Well, hang on, as Michael Oliver is the referee, he's a Premier League referee, and you should deal with the incidents uh, absolutely by the laws of the game and not by who it is. Or what the circumstances are, I thought that was a bit. I thought that was a bit um, annoying. Yeah, I thought it was more than a bit annoying. I mean, it it was a terrible, terrible challenge, reminiscent of some of the ones that have really seriously injured, injured yeah. Arsenal players in the past. And, and look, I, I'm not completely unforgiving. I understand that maybe there's a bit of a rush of blood to the head. This is a really big occasion for these guys. And I understand that probably in the back of their mind is a sense of we probably can't compete technically. So there's going to be an emphasis on competing physically. Sure. Um, but, especially in the early stage of the game, but all that side, it's a very, very dangerous challenge. And I think sort of just letting that slide is actually doing, doing the match and the wider sport a disservice, really, by sort of saying... Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine today. Yeah, you can crunch him as much as you like because, you know, you're a 32-year-old kind of fat guy who's playing in Division 5. That's all right. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, that's not. it's not right. And uh, we'll see. I think Iwobi posted a picture of his... Uh, his ankle all strapped up, so hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's just a bit of a bruise and nothing more than that. But it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. I mean, there was one with Alexis Sanchez, wasn't there, in the second half, where the guy just literally pushed him in the back and pushed him over. I mean, it's a, it's a yellow card. Like, yeah. if an Arsenal player had done it, uh, it would have been a yellow card, no question about it. So I, I don't think it's right. I think it takes away from the spectacle a little bit if uh, if one team is being... Uh, refereed by slightly different rules than the other. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, look, they when Alexis came on the pitch, it felt like everyone was trying to land a, a tackle on him, didn't it? I mean, it was almost yeah. that sort of exhibition stuff. One guy, Amanqua, actually did land a huge tackle and a clean tackle on him. So fair play. Mm. But um, yeah, there, there was some niggly stuff, and the referee. I thought the referee. I understood where he was coming from, not wanting to sort of kind of... It's that classic thing, not wanting to spoil the game, but you've still got to play by the laws. So that was a bit frustrating. Um, and we're lucky, I guess, that Iwobi wasn't more hurt. I mean, there was an injury to uh, Mohamed Elneny, but we don't know much about that yet either. I think that, that looked like a calf problem, and given that he had a calf problem when he was away at the uh, the African Cup of Nations, perhaps it, it sort of flared up again, maybe because of the pitch, or maybe just that's what happens sometimes uh, when you've got an injury and, uh, and what have you. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what, what, what happens with him. So, what, I mean, as a game, it wasn't necessarily the, the greatest game. Um, I, I thought it no, might... It, it, it wasn't a spectacle. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't brilliant. Uh, there wasn't a lot of great football. I think we struggled with the with the surface, um, and I think the way it manifested itself was in poor control as much as anything else. Mm. That perhaps the players weren't quite used to the speed of the ball when it was arriving at them. But you would expect, you know, top level players to be able to to deal with that a little bit better. You know, there were players definitely not in the same wavelength. I think for about the first twenty minutes, Iwobi and Monreal. Um, confused each other a few times, you know, with passes going the wrong way or players getting caught in their heels and uh, and what have you. Um, and I think we did struggle with the surface a little bit. Yeah, it won't be a Montreal. It looked like it almost looked like they were expecting another player to be playing on that flank with them, and they kept passing to him yeah. only to find he wasn't there. Johnny Invisible. Like, Exactly, yeah. It was like there was a kind of left wing back character who, who was only visible to them. Uh, I think we did slightly struggle with the pitch, which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, certain players were left at home. Danny Welbeck, of course, didn't travel. I understood that decision, I guess, given the concern about his joints. Uh, but I think it was more the pace of it, like you say. Uh, and there were times where our athleticism was really evident. I mean, you think of in the second half, Oxlade Chamberlain just storming down the pitch and no one to get able to get close to him mm. but the technical side of the game wasn't as evident from us you know I thought that our 
final pass wasn't as good as it might have been. I thought, you know, we probably could have exploited space a little bit better if we'd been a bit technically sharper, but we did seem to slightly struggle with the surface. What did you what did you make of the the lineup? Was it as strong as you were anticipating? Were you thinking there'd be more kids out there or was that what you thought you'd get? I thought, yeah, more or less that's what it would be. Um I thought maybe Bellerin would play, but uh, you know Gabriel did okay. Uh, beyond that, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it would be any much different. I didn't think he was going to start both Jeff and Maitland Niles. Uh, I thought it was right, a good yeah. chance to give Jackie Nell Nanny a, a little run out in the in the centre just to see if that would work. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to say because obviously El Nanny got injured in in the first half. I mean, we control, you know, I think, I don't think we were under any real pressure uh, throughout the game. There were, they had some moments, a few moments of danger, but uh, some of those were, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, down to, uh, down to us. They were self-inflicted. That's exactly what what I was going to say. You know, obviously David Ospina (laughs) had a few moments uh, during the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the lineup itself was fine. Good to see Lucas Perez get a start, get a goal. Um, you know, he's a player. There were stories in the, in the papers yesterday about how he was unhappy and wants to leave the club. And then his agent has come out and denied giving the interview to, uh, to the Italian website, uh, Calcio Mercato, uh, who I think do have a bit of a history of kind of making stuff up or taking stuff that, you know, maybe shouldn't be published, whether it was a private conversation, perhaps that, that was published. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but if he were unhappy, uh, you wouldn't blame him, would you? No, no. I think that he, when he signed for Arsenal, he probably expected to play much more frequently than he has. And I think the the telling thing is that when he has played, he's contributed. You know, you cannot argue with his record. It's extraordinary. Every time he starts a game, he seems to score or provide an assist, even when he comes off the bench. And uh, I thought, certainly in the first half last night against Sutton, he was our best player. Uh, and I, think, I thought he showed the most energy. I thought he showed the most intelligence in attack. I think he links the play brilliantly. He's He can be really lethal, very incisive in the way he attacks, mm. very intelligent. I'm a big admirer. And I think, you know, at, at first I thought, well, he's not getting games because Alexis is playing through the middle and no one anticipated that happening. But really, some of Lucas's best performances have come out wide. And I think... That this is the place to start him, really. Maybe out on that right flank. I think that he's been excellent there, and I'd love to see. You know, we saw last season Bellerin combined really well with Joel Campbell when Campbell drove in field. I thought uh, onto his left foot, mm. it created space for Bellerin on the overlap. I'd love to see Lucas uh, afforded a, a similar chance in the league sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think he's a really clever player, and I think he's got this thing where he's actually just productive. I mean, the goal last night wasn't necessarily the greatest goal he's ever going to score. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, there was a touch of good fortune to it. Theo Walcott obviously tried to get a touch on the ball and went through his legs and maybe distracted the goalkeeper. But, you know, s- sometimes a player has that, whether it's an ability or a knack or just that little bit of good fortune, he's sort of like the anti-Cabadiawara, if you like, in the sense that um, Diawara hit the post or hit the bar time and time again like you could put him in front of the goal without a goalkeeper and chances are you know he'd hit the woodwork whereas Perez always seems to be involved in goals seems to be involved in uh, in good things that we do um, and I'm not saying that he's a similar player to Cavadiawara I just mean in terms of the way that he produces on a regular basis I'm surprised that he hasn't had more of a chance to be perfectly honest and I think uh, Arsene Wenger said after the game you know I've got lots of strikers I've got Giroud I've got uh, Welbeck um, which doesn't really ring true for me because Giroud is a centre forward. Um, uh, Perez is a bit more versatile than that. Welbeck is only really coming back uh, in, into the fray. Theo Walcott was was injured for a little while and I'm a little bit surprised that during the time Theo Walcott was out, we didn't see more of Lucas Perez. But what more can he do other than to come in, play well, probably our best player uh, on the night along with I would say Rob Holding who I I thought was really impressive again quietly assured at the back what more can he do other than score a goal and play well and uh, hopefully Arsene Wenger will um, uh, will give him a chance 
Yeah, I mean, on the agent thing, I did a, a little bit of digging around it, and for, from from what I understand, speaking to people close to the situation, it, it's more relaxed than the Calcio Mercato quotes made it sound. I think mm. that you know, there's there's no sense of oh, we've got to get out of this club immediately at all costs. But I think there is probably a bit of discontent mm. uh, and a bit of disappointment that there aren't more opportunities there. And I think if that situation continues until the summer. It's completely understandable that that Perez would would look to move on because, you know, he's got international ambitions and I think he's not going to get close to that if he's not playing games. So Mm. I think it'll be one to watch come the summer, but there's so much uncertainty about the summer in terms of the manager and even certain attacking players that it would be very rash to make a decision on that now. Yeah, there are some uh, quotes just emerged uh, this morning. He spoke to Cadena Cope, which is a Spanish radio station, I think, Mm. after the game. And he says, Arsenal are a big team. Competition for places is big. Everyone wants to play. It's normal. Uh, Today, I'm happy because I played and scored a goal. Now I need to continue like this to convince the boss to trust me more. So the competition is big and you have to make uh, have to wait for your moment and make the most of the opportunity when it arrives and you know he's not a guy who who has uh who has uh, had games where he he hasn't looked impressive i think for the most part he looks like a guy who can always contribute something so um you know, I, I'd love to see him get a chance as well because I think this team, right at this moment in time, needs something a little bit fresher, needs some different uh, dynamics to it rather than the ones which haven't always worked. So, you know, he, he's definitely an option in that regard. Yeah, he is. And, uh, you know, the first goal was a little bit fortuitous, but it was a good ball nonetheless. Mm. Uh, and, I th- and, you know... Uh, typical of him, really. Typical of him. Nice. Of no, I, sh- I should just point out as, as well. I think it was uh, some really nice midfield play by Granite Xhaka, uh to yeah, to, to, to win the ball back deep in our half to uh, move upfield, take a return pass, and set Lucas free down the right hand side. So uh, uh, good to see from Xhaka and also good to see from Xhaka that he can get booked and stay on the pitch. So that that yeah. was good. <laughs> <laughs> that is a relief to know. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think about the first half. I mean, the, their best chance in the first half really was via uh, Os- May. Adam, yeah, <laughs> Aspina just sort of passed him the ball. It was like, I mean, what you know, the it was fuck a fuck. Were you do- like, what? What did you do that it was for? A, it, it was almost like he was like, I want to, I want to get involved in this game. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired bored. of being sat on the sidelines. Fuck, I'm bored here. I'm bored. Let's yeah. just, let's just pass it to one of them and see what happens. <laughs> Uh, or maybe it's something they're working on. I mean, we all saw Petr Cech in training uh, at Chelsea the other day. Oh, maybe yeah, yeah. Working on it, yeah. <sighs> um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, that that went awry. And then 1-0 at half time. Um, Oxley Chamberlain came on. I actually thought that he helped us, to be honest. I know mm. he was a bit erratic in his actual uh, delivery in terms of his passing, but I felt that his energy and his ability to go from box to box, mm. I, must, I guess his freshness as well against a rapidly tiring Sutton side, helped us kind of seize greater control of the game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he did. I mean, I, I thought some of the... Uh, so He spotted the passes without being able to necessarily make the passes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which is, you know, I suppose, you know, positive in one way. And of course, he had that great run down, uh, down the left-hand side, which produced one of the comedy moments of the season so far, where the guy that he ran past sort of loafed the air. He did a mime headbutt at at Oxlade Chamberlain. I don't know what he was trying to do. Was he actually trying to like headbutt him on the shoulder, or was he? Was he trying to put him off? What was it? It was like it was the sort of thing you see if you go down the park on a Sunday afternoon with your dog and there's a football match on and there's loads of, you know, old lads like me playing football and some young winger goes past him and he's like, ah, no. Uh, it, was re- <laughs> it was really very, very strange and funny. It was bizarre because it was... You know, if you want to trip the guy up, trip him up, but don't trip him up using your head. It was reminiscent of John Terry sort of heading the ball on the ground. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> the, don't use that part of your body to do that. Um, maybe his, he was like, the head is, you know, the strongest part of the body. I'll put that in Oxlade Chamberlain's way. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but it was comical. And let's check it out. There's gifts of it all over Twitter. Hunt it out. If mm. you can. Yeah, you can find it on today's post on uh, arsblog.com as well as a, a Twitter post with, with the video there. But yeah, I think he did well. And of course, um, the lead was, was doubled by Theo Walcott getting his 100th goal for Arsenal. 100 goals. Yeah. 
ton up. Not bad, eh? I mean, how many games did they did he do it in? It was something like 400 or so. Uh, I think, uh, you know, nice for him to do it wearing the armband, I guess. Uh, Captain Theo. Captain Not something Theo. I ever thought I'd say. Again, uh, after the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all remember that. Um, but uh, a decent goal, actually, quite well worked. Monreal, who I thought was pretty solid on the night, um, did well. And, and his defensive mm. cross tucked home by Walcott with his left foot, of all things. 370 appearances for Theo Walcott. So that's a goal every 3.7 games? Yeah, it's a good record. One in four or, or under one in four, yeah. Mm. Um, ten seasons, ten goals a season. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> A hundred goals is is an impressive feat. I think that the the reason that it's kind of uh, that there are caveats with Walcott is simply that I guess people feel like maybe it, it could have been more if it weren't for big injury problems that mm. subsequently affected his form. It's it's an interesting one. I mean, I know you know you and Theo have had your differences down the years, but you you got to take your hat off to a hundred goals, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely, you know it is. Um, it's it's a it's a good landmark for any player to achieve a, at a club. So uh, fair play to him. Um, and then what? Well, I mean, Sutton had a <laughs> Sutton had a little spell. They sort of rallied. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they probably should have scored. There was well, Rory Deacon, who I thought was pretty great on the night, really, from Sutton's point of view. I mean, obviously his crossing was uh, wild at times, but you know, I thought he looked. Uh, he looked their best player mm. and uh, he had one cross from the left, which Monreal did very well to clear. Then uh, he struck the bar. Mm. His corner was headed over when Ospina was, I, I, again, I don't know what he was up to really. <laughs> Dave, I don't know Dave, either. Uh, hey, look, a ball, a ball. I go yeah. for <laughs> It was kind of like that. I mean, he was seeking a bit of involvement, I think. I think he's thinking, you know, this is my chance, the cup ties, to, to make a point. I made a load of saves against Bayern. I haven't had much to do tonight. What can I do to make an impact? Mm. Um, but it was nearly the wrong sort of impact. And, uh, yeah, they had a little spell, but uh, they didn't get the sort of fairy tale goal and... And that was it. And someone ate a pie. And that was it, really. Someone, someone ate a pie and that was it. That's another thing. You know, everyone's going, look at him, he's eating a pie. It's great. And then you realise that it's, you know, part of a betting thing. And you're going, oh, my God, mm. come on, come on. But it, did you know what? It was funny. The BBC commentator was saying, you know, it was about the 85th minute. And I think they had a corner. And and uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, I don't think even Arsenal fans would begrudge Sutton a goal now. And I was thinking, I would. I'd fucking begrudge the shit out of them scoring because if, you know, they score, it's 2-1, there's still four or five minutes plus injury time left. I don't have that much faith in our team's uh, resolve and uh, so-called mental strength to be able to deal with that. I was going, now, if we were 4-1 up or 4-0 or 5-0 up, maybe then I wouldn't begrudge them a goal. I still don't want them to score, but you go, oh, well, you know, that's nice for them on the night, but not at 2-2-0. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Yeah, I mean, literally when he said that, I thought if this goes to 2-1 and then Sutton can get a couple of corners against us in stoppage time, I mean, I dread I dread to think what might have happened. So, no, I uh, I was very content that to keep a, a welcome clean sheet. Yeah, yes, it was a clean sheet. We'll take it. Yeah, we absolutely will. So, uh, so look, you know, overall, not a... Not a night that anyone's going to remember for for the game, but perhaps for the occasion. Um, you know, the fans that were there crowded into a, a little tiny stadium. You know, it's, it's a very different way to to watch football and uh, an enjoyable way, I think, to to watch football as well. There's a, an intimacy to it that you don't get in big, uh, massive, uh, luxurious space bowl stadiums. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And as I said, you know, as Arsenal fans, I feel like we're always uh, crying out for something different. Well, this was something different. And uh, an intriguing tie in the next round, another non-league side. Mm, Lincoln City at home. So, you know, again, it's a, it's a fantastic chance to get to a semi-final. Chelsea and Manchester United are playing in uh, one of the other uh, quarterfinals. So that's going to be one of those teams gone. But I mean, it could be, James, it could be like... A, Arsenal Tottenham semi final or an Arsenal Tottenham FA Cup final. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, that would be incredibly exciting. But when you said that then, my first thought was if it's an Arsenal Tottenham semi final and 
Arsene Wenger doesn't win that game, (laughs) it wouldn't be pretty. But even losing, you know, losing to Tottenham at any stage or losing a semi-final at any stage is uh, is unpleasant. We do we have beaten them in a semi-final before, didn't uh, Robert Perez score a goal at Old Trafford to uh, to put us I through to a final? Right. And it seems like something he would do. Yeah, just score against Tottenham. Fuck Tottenham. Yeah, that's yeah, his score. That's his thing. Mm. That's his thing. Uh, but look, the cup to an extent is. Kind of opening up. I mean, it's it's almost reminiscent of. I mean, there's some big teams left in there. Don't get me wrong, but if we get to the semi-finals, which we we surely, surely should, you know, you're two games away from a trophy. It feels like could it be 2014 all over again? Yeah, I mean, the the thing about it is, if you remember, it was only the semi-final stage when the uh, the teams sort of uh, bottomed out to a certain extent. Because what were the teams left in the in the the cup of the semi-final stage? There was Hull. There was it could have been West Ham, uh, Wigan, yeah. and Arsenal. And you're thinking, well, 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 well. I mean, it's um, you know, it's Tottenham versus Millwall. Imagine Millwall beat Tottenham. And then it's Chelsea, Manchester United, Middlesbrough against Manchester City or Huddersfield. So imagine Huddersfield somehow got through against Manchester City. They play Middlesbrough and their giant killing continues. They beat, you know, Manchester United. You could like Arsenal, Huddersfield. We could face Millwall in the semi-final and Huddersfield in the final. What an amazing run to an FA Cup final that would be. I mean, I'd take that. I know people say, oh, it's nice to beat the big teams along the way. No, bring me Millwall and Huddersfield. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would, that's preferable. Infinitely preferable. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you got the trophy. You won the trophy. Who cares? If you want to downplay the trophy because you, you only beat Millwall and Huddersfield, fine. You go right ahead. I'm quite happy with that because, you know, uh, we, we still have the trophy at the end of the day. However, I suspect we're going to look at a... Semi-final lineup of Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Tottenham, which is that is something. I mean, or or Chelsea could be in there ahead of United. Oh, of course, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Too yeah. close to call, really. That one, but uh, yeah, it's it's the heavyweights. The heavyweights mm. are in for the cup this year, so. Um, who knows? Who knows what could happen? But good to be in the mix. And I mean, yeah, very grateful for our, our quarterfinal draw, which, you know, will be a, another nice occasion, but another game that Arsenal should comfortably win. All right. Well, those are some famous last words to leave uh, part yeah. one of the, <laughs> of the podcast on. Uh, we'll do that. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions in part two right after this. Hey, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. Would you like to go first or will I? Um, I'll go first, actually. Okay. And this question, I must must apologise, by the way, if it's picking up on the mic. My stomach's going absolutely insane this morning. It's like there's an animal living in there. Yeah, Like a gremlin. mm, Yeah. Weird. I've no explanation. I feel normal. There it goes again. Have Have you had breakfast? I have had some breakfast. I don't know what's going on. 
I remember uh, that happening worked. to me. No, I remember it happening to me one day and I was going in to do uh, a voiceover session. Uh, yeah. I think I was recording a, a radio commercial and I remember sitting there in the um, in the office uh, before I went down into the studio. My stomach was just going... And you know what I found yeah. helped? A, a, a drink of water helped. A drink of water. Well, mm. Fortunately, I can do that. That's something I can do right now. All right. There we go. Problem solved, hopefully. Yeah. Um, now, this <laughs> this question is from the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the arse blog, and it's from Ben Fawcett, which I believe is American for tap. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> as bad... Right, here we go. As bad as all of us gooners feel after Bayern... When you step back from the hysteria and take a cold, calculated, scientific look at the club and where we are, do we all need to get a fucking grip? Um, <laughs> in caps, that is. Oh, right. Well, if it's in caps, then hmm, do we need to get <laughs> do we need to get a grip? I, you know, I don't know. It's very difficult, isn't it, to get a grip on losing 5-1 away from home to Bayern and you know that there is the case when you look when you step back and you go well we're still ahead of Manchester United in the table who spent what 170 million pounds on players last summer uh, you, you know you can make you can make that argument but again it comes back to just the weight of stuff the fact that it's not the first time that we've lost uh, by that margin to Bayern not the first time or the second or the third or fourth or fifth sixth seventh time uh, we've, we've uh, we're going to go out in the round of 16 in the Champions League we don't seem to be making any progress there um, you you know, it, it's it's a little less raw now than it was, and I'm a little, you know, I'm a little more concerned, generally speaking, about um, the situation. Just from the point of view that I don't think the club are set up for anything other than Arsene Wenger, and I, you know, if if he were to go, if if uh, certain results happened, and he, you know, it, it just got too hot, you know, and he had to get out of the kitchen, that then I would be as eager as I would be to see uh, what a new man might bring, you know, I'm still kind of scared about what the, um, what the future might hold because of, because mm. of the, uh, the, the influence Arsene Wenger has and, and how much work it's going to take to replace him. So I don't know about getting a grip, but certainly I think there's a need to look at the situation beyond simply Arsene Wenger. You have to ask yourself, does Arsene Wenger get the help that he needs from within the club? Is he to blame for that to a certain extent? Um, is the board set up right? Is Stan Kroenke anything other than just a completely neutral um, force at the club? Or is he in some way a negative force uh, on the club? You know, some will say, well, look, he, he stays back and he doesn't, doesn't in, uh, doesn't interfere, but maybe you know if you have an owner who's got actual sporting ambition, that 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 can create a certain dynamic within the club. It can create a a pressure to perhaps perform. And we've heard the word comfort zone around Arsenal a lot, haven't we, over the last uh, few weeks uh, when some of the results haven't been as great as as they should have been. That perhaps you know when you've got that pressure, you've got the we talk about competition for places, right, in the in the in the team and how that's a positive thing, but. You know, Stan Kroenke, what does he do other than own the shares? So I think there's a need to look at the whole situation just beyond Arsene Wenger. I think if you just focus mm -hmm. solely on the manager, you're you're doing yourself a disservice to a certain extent. It is bigger than him, uh, and I think it's worth exploring that. So if you want to get a grip, let's get a grip on everything that's going on, the overall situation, and how it can be improved, not just from a managerial point of view, but from uh, within the club, the structures of the club, and, and you know the people who, who own the club or who are running the club. What do they want from it? What Do they want success? Do they want trophies? Do they want the team to be the very, very best that it can be? I don't think that's the case. And I think we have to look at all that. So maybe if we're getting a grip, that's that's the grip we need to get. That's a very good answer. I think that's a very fair answer. I, I, I think one my sort of follow-up question to that would be, last week after the buying game, 
the situation, particularly as regards to the manager, felt forgive the brutality of the term, but it felt quite terminal. Mm. Do you, do you feel that that's alleviated somewhat since then? Do you think that the the mood has shifted uh, even in the space of a, a week or so? I don't know if the mood has shifted, but obviously it's not as raw. It's not as, you know, it happened last week and we've had a game since and we've won the game. And look, when you win matches, uh, the, the pressure eases off a little bit. I don't think it's a case that what happened against Sutton United is going to change the mind of anyone, anyone who thinks Arsenal need a new manager. I don't think that, you know, it's not like, oh, right, well, we got that one completely wrong or, you know, this has completely altered my view on things. I don't think that's that's the case at all. But, you know, inevitably, when, when you take a bit of time from something, a bit of distance from something, it doesn't feel quite as, uh, as brutal, if you like. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it felt as... We spoke about it on the Arscast on Friday a little bit, but it felt more than ever that there was, uh, you know, a growing consensus... Um, that maybe his time was up. Now, I, I, I um, vacillate between thinking that he might call it a day and knowing that Arsene Wenger just loves to be a football manager and loves Arsenal Football Club, you know, um, and, and would probably want to stay if the circumstances were right for him to stay. So I think a lot really depends on when he talked about making a decision in March or April, I think it might be later than that again, because let's say you've got an FA Cup final coming up. Is it, A, the thing that can uh, rebuild or get enough people on board? If you win the FA Cup again, you win another, another trophy. Is it the thing that allows you to sign a new deal? Or is it the thing that allows you to say, well, look, this, is, this would be a great time to leave and to call it uh, to call it quits because you know I'm going out on a high you know so it's it's just so difficult I think the whole thing is so so complicated um, that that you know we're we're not gonna know and I think it's gonna be one of the features of the rest of the season it's gonna vary the mood is going to vary wildly from result to result particularly if mm. results are bad you know you look at the next two games we have James it's Liverpool away then Bayern Munich at home. Well, you know, fuck. That, you know, that could be ugly. <laughs> it could be ugly I mean, or it could be fucking, it could be, you know, go to Anfield and win and, I don't know, restore some pride against Bayern. We're not going to win. We're not going to get through against Bayern. There's no way that's going to happen. But, you know, you could restore some pride and, and it helps kick you on. But, you know, it's just, it, it feels, um, what's the word? I'm finding I'm struggling with, with words today. Normally I don't, but it just feels a little bit delicate at this moment in time that it can swing right. very quickly from one side and not necessarily all the way to the other. But, you know, if, if things go wrong, they're going to, you know, we're going to hear a, a lot about it very quickly. Well, I mean, uh, it's telling, isn't it? Arsene Wenger said he would make his decision in March or April about his future. Um, when you look at the fixtures, in, in particularly in March, uh, you can kind of understand that because there is that buying game. There mm. is that Liverpool game. There's the FA Cup quarter final with Lincoln. First um, of April is a big one. It's Manchester City at the Emirates Stadium. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's a uh, plenty to consider there and plenty for him to to contemplate. All right, here is a question also from uh, the Facebook page. It comes from Christopher Johansson. And he says, is it time to let Rob Holding get a run in the team alongside Koscielny? Mustafi does not fill me with confidence, and I feel he's a bit overrated. Mm. Well, I think, you know, Mustafi had a, a torrid time in Munich, didn't he? I mean, I thought he had a, a really poor game mm. and hasn't quite looked as assured as he initially did in the side since returning from injury. Uh, I think Holding has impressed me Every time I've seen him play, he had a couple of actually slightly dodgy moments, I thought, against Sutton, where he was a little bit almost too um, casual, because, but he is so composed. And in fact, uh, a, a Spurs-supporting friend of mine sent me a text saying, oh, Holding looks like a good player. He looks kind of like, you know, John Stones, but not quite stupid. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, I think that's you know that's sort of what you want really. I mean, he, he's a he's a guy who is not 
he's he's decent in the air, he's tall, but he's a, a footballer as mm. well. And I think when you when you sign a young English defender from Bolton, um, forgive my prejudices, but you don't necessarily expect them to be a footballing centre half. Uh, but Holding appears to to be one, and I I'm a, a huge fan. I probably when he's in the side, I don't think I trust him any less than I do the likes of Mustafi and Gabriel. And given their relative experience, that's quite a big statement. Yeah. Yeah, I like him, I have to say, that in the, I don't know, what's he made, 10 appearances, something like that this season, he's looked good in, oh my God, you all right? What that was, was me trying to move my phone away because it keeps ringing and then dropping it and it hitting the table and ricocheting across the room. Right. What's going to be exciting for me is at the end of the podcast, I'm going to find out if it's broken or not. (laughs) (laughs) Have a look at it now if you want, because I think, you know, we can't leave people on tenterhooks here, James. Um, okay. No, I mean, it, remarkably, it's it's it seems to be functioning, so okay. good news. Marvellous. Marvellous. Bad news for Arsenal, though, because as we know, my misfortune equals good things for the Gunners. Yes, true. Um, I, you know, I think he, like you, I think composed is the word that I would use when I see him. Um, you know, at the back, he doesn't look uh, at all freaked out. His positioning is good. Uh, there were a couple of moments yesterday where he was very aware of a threat uh, that, that that was going to be played through and was, you know, positionally very, very good. So whether it's time to give him a, a run or not, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. You know, you look at the fixtures that we've got coming up and is it the right time to play him if you're going to Anfield away, Bayern Munich at home, Manchester City at home, you know, maybe this season is one where you, you you give him some football, you give him as much football as he can and let him develop and let him grow and let him understand the club and, and uh, mature a little bit because he's still only 20, 21. Uh, mm. You know, in the life of a centre half, that that that's uh, that's still pretty young, and and see where you go from there. You know, I don't think he's let us down in any way. And like you, if he were, let's say, we had an injury crisis and he were forced into the team, we had no other choice than to play Rob Holding. I don't think I would be that worried. So I, I think that that no. probably tells you what you need to know. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried either. I think I don't think Arsene Wenger will do it. I think that you know he's got. Faith in Mustafi and probably Gabriel and and Per Mertzaka, let's not forget, is available for selection, although mm. quite when he's going to get a game, I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll be looking as far ahead as that Lincoln match uh, in the FA Cup quarterfinal for a chance yeah. to come back into the side. But uh, I'm a huge fan of holding. I think it's probably, a, I don't think Arsene would plunge him in, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against it. I think it's a team that could do with something a bit different and shaking up a bit like we said when discussing Perez earlier so yeah uh, I'd be on board but I don't think it'll happen yeah alright uh, question yeah um, oh this is an interesting one this is from um, Andre and uh, Gerard on Facebook and I don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not and they ask so it's a long one so brace yourself okay um, I get a feeling that Sanchez is at the same level that Henri was at in his latter years at Arsenal when it comes to control. Fabregas said in an interview after Henri left, the squad felt relieved because they didn't feel the need to always look for Henri, but could play up freely. From what I see, we could be in a similar position with Sanchez at the moment. Apart from the -the on-the-pitch evidence, the fact he gets playing time against Sutton strengthens my belief that his power even takes over at managerial level. He's a brilliant player and easily the best in the current squad, but is there a case to be made that he handicaps the rest of the squad to develop into something more synergic? Synergic. I thought you were going to say something like sinister because he was talking about sinister. The, <laughs> the power. The of, power. The power. The power of Alexis. Alexis Sanchez. I know. It does make him sound like a some sort of a Sith Lord, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I can sort of see the point a little bit because I guess he's saying that when he's on the pitch, he's always looking for the ball. I mean, there was a moment late on, wasn't there, where he didn't get a pass back from Rob Holding and was like, 
You're thinking, mate, yeah. it's, it's the 93rd minute and, uh, you know, j- just relax. Just relax a little bit. And I think there is, to an extent, that, that when you have a player like that who is, A, as good as he is and who is as important as he is, because look at how many goals he scored this season and look at how many assists he's got. You know, he is generally involved in a lot of the good stuff that we do. I mean, he demands the ball from people. He comes, even though he starts as a striker, he comes uh, very deep to pick up the ball and, and uh, you know, to, to get involved in the game. You know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, though, because that was true of earlier in the season where he wanted the ball all the time, where he, he shifted out of position. What was different then was we had players who were able to get into the positions or into the space that he was leaving behind. And then we were able to find those players. Uh, you think of, uh, you know, Theo Walcott doing it. Uh, Mesut Ozil in particular uh, seemed to thrive off it in the first part of the season. So it's not necessarily about um, Sanchez, I think, as the, the overall team dynamic is not quite as strong uh, as, it, as it might be. Um, hmm. Is he the kind of player who will have a negative effect on the team because of how much he wants to get involved? Maybe, but I think it's got more to do with the the overall performances of the team itself. You know, and the, the the worse the team plays, the more he tries to get involved. And maybe that just exacerbates it a little bit or highlights it a little bit. But, you know, you ask yourself uh, when you go into the to the rest of the season, when you look at the games that we have ahead of us, would you rather have Alexis Sanchez in the team or not? Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward answer, mm. isn't it? And, and also, personally, I'm not quite convinced by this idea that... Uh, you know, Arsenal were kind of restricted by Thierry Henry by the end. And, you know, when we sold him, we were sort of liberated from him because I, I'm not sure we were a, a better side necessarily. It's not like we went on once we got shot of that bastard Henry and won everything, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I, Arsene Wenger is a, a very intelligent man and I think he is good at spinning things a certain way. But I think when you lose... A big star. I know there were sort of mitigating factors with Henri, and he wasn't quite the player he was. But um, I, I think it's there's still a cost attached to that. And if Alexis is seems incredibly important to the team, it's because of his quality. Mm. And I I think at the moment we just can't afford can't afford to lose him really. So uh, uh, whilst I think it's an interesting sort of point to look at, I, I don't. I just think it's not even worth contemplating. Do you? Do you? Um, what did you make of Alexis coming on against Sutton? I mean, yeah, I have a question about it here. Surprising? Actually, um, I'll go let me on. just see if I can get the question. It comes from oh my god! All right, I'm going to try this. Uh, well, his um, his at name is Bordeaux Blues, but his uh, name is Osgur Kurtoglu. I think Kurtoglu. I'm not quite sure. I'm guessing it's... Oscar Cotoglu, yeah. Yes. I think that is it. Okay, uh, hopefully that was a reasonable uh, appropriation of, of that name. Um, he wants to know, how strange is it that Mesut Ozil gets flack for being rested yesterday and Arsene Wenger gets flack for playing Alexis? Um, I think we talk, talked about it before, that uh, there's this, this whole finely tuned machine thing about Alexis Sanchez, that if you don't play him, maybe he's not at his best that it's better to give him 20 minutes uh, or, you know, half an hour than not give him any time at all. So, uh, look, you know, there's always a risk, isn't there? But I think if you, you know, if if you were to not do something because the the risk was too high every single time, you'd never do anything. And he said afterwards, Arsene Wenger said, he's a guy who has a strong body. That's because of his superpowers. Um, he said, I think on this pitch, it is the guy who does not have good coordination, who is heavy on his feet, who is in trouble. Alexis is more a guy who has very good coordination. He is light on his feet. I don't think it was a risk. So, look, he, he wants to be involved. And I think when you've got a player who wants to be involved um, and who is as productive as Alexis Sanchez is, you know, I really don't really don't see um, that it's a, a big deal. You know, you look at um, Real Madrid, Barcelona, even when they play some of the small teams or some of the cup games, they still play Messi and Suarez and Neymar, you know, even though they could probably beat those teams without them. Uh, so, True. yeah. 
you know, I, 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 you know, if he picked up an injury, of course, you know, Wenger's the worst idiot in the world uh, for putting him on. But uh, look, that's that's football. That's the way that that it that it works. I mean, if you, if you never want to run the risk of getting injured, you'd never play football. That's sort of the the thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What about Meza Ozil being popped on a plane somewhere? Norwich. I don't know where he went. Uh, what did you What did you make of that? Um, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, that he wasn't involved last night. Where he went or or how he went there and and what have you. You know, I don't. Uh, I've got no idea. I don't think it's a case that he's you know going to be on holidays for a couple of weeks. It wouldn't surprise me if the players were given. A couple of days off, given that we've got some mm. uh, some time between uh, now and the next game. Uh, you know, you, you can't really see Arsene Wenger taking the team to, you know, uh, Magaluf for some, you know, team bonding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should try it. Yeah, Ayanapa or something like that. They go and have a good lads weekend. You know, I just, I just don't see that being the case. You know, I think the training mm. will be serious, but I think they will also be given a, a few days off. You know, the guys will be relatively fresh. Where Mesut also went, I don't know. I, I was told that, you know, the manager wasn't necessarily impressed with any of his team against Bayern Munich and wasn't short about telling... Uh, Telling them in particular, uh, Alexis and, and Mesut Ozil. Uh, so, you know, it's not a case that they're being molly, molly coddled in that regard. But, uh, you know, if they are being given some time off, you know, all well and good. I might just question why, you know, on the day of a game you're, you're tweeting or Snapchatting from a plane. You know, there's, you know, it just, yeah. just doesn't quite give the right impression. But hey, that's, uh, Maybe that's just me, and these are, you know, modern guys, young guys who uh, who share every moment of their existence via social media. So, you know, if it's not the way it was done back in my day, then you know, maybe I'm the old fart. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I think you can pick your moments. Maybe I think you're yeah. probably right in that respect. Um, let's have this question from Hamish on Twitter, who's at k o h u four seven, and he asks. Thoughts on Wenger managing another side other than Arsenal? Would you rather he retired at Arsenal? No, if he left Arsenal, I wouldn't have any problem with him taking another job. I don't see why. Yeah. Couldn't be worse than what happened with George Graham, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he's not going to go to Tottenham, let's face it. Uh, so, no, look, if it was a case that Arsenal and Arsene Wenger called it quits, then if he didn't want to retire... I don't see why anyone should be in any way uh, perturbed or disturbed or unhappy if he went to another club. I mean, I can't see him managing another Premier League club. I think that would be... I think that would... I don't know if he would. Maybe he would, but, you know, I just can't... I can't necessarily see it. I don't think he'd be short of offers either, but uh, I think he would probably... He would probably go abroad uh, or maybe back to France. You know, there's a long, long time connection with with PSG, uh, even if the, the dude there is doing a, a reasonable job at this moment in time, uh, there's been a strong connection between Arsene Wenger and, and PSG for, for many, many years. Uh, so that wouldn't surprise me. And of course, you know, there could be jobs uh, elsewhere in Italy and Spain that might suit him if it, if it came up to him. And if it did, I wouldn't have any problem with that at all. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Arsenal fans would probably want to see Wenger go on and do well elsewhere, wouldn't they? I mean, you know, as long as it wasn't in the Premier League, good luck to him. Yeah. All right, here's one from Alexander Palo, at Alexander Palo, and he wants to know, why does Lucas Perez never smile? Even after scoring, he, he looks almost angry, slash upset, slash sad. Is it because he he hates it Arsenal so much that he can't even find joy in scoring a goal? Uh, I, I don't know. I think, um, well, I think against Sutton, neither of the goal scorers celebrated with any uh, particular uh, vim. But I think that's sort of <laughs> kind of understandable, given yeah. the, the nature of the opposition. Absolutely. There was a question about that. It was, oh gosh, where is it here? 
Tom Stebbings at Tom Stebbs asked, uh, were the muted goal celebrations to do with the level of the opposition or are all, or are all our players depressed? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think, I think it is exactly that, the the, the opposition. Um, you know, Theo Walcott was scoring his 100th goal. He had re- cause to celebrate and still was very, very relaxed about it. I think Lucas Perez, I think he's just one of those kind of icy cold assassin figures. And... Uh, Frankly, I like him for it. Absolutely, I I absolutely agree with you on this. Um, you know, you know, uh, I'm not a necessarily a fan of the ostentatious goal celebration, particularly uh, for the opening goal in a game in the first half. You know, when players run around and slide on their knees and and what have you. And you're thinking there's still 65 minutes of this game to go. You should just mm. accept the congratulations of your teammates. Perhaps a manly handshake here and there, slap on the back. You make your way back to your own half and get on with the game. Um, but I think he does. He, there is a certain element of resting bitch face uh, to Lucas Perez. You know, he just has that that kind of a face. Um, that's not to say he's never he's never happy. You can see him smiling. Uh, you know, we can find pictures of him smiling. There's there's no problem with that at all. But I think he's just like aware. That, you know, when he scored a goal against uh, Sutton United after 27 minutes of a fifth round FA Cup tie, you know, you're not going to look like you've won the lottery. You know, mm. and particularly a goal that um, was a little bit fortuitous, as we said. So, absolutely. Uh, and it's actually very interesting. If you watch the, uh, if you watch the game again, uh, after he scores, there's a bit of congratulations, I think a bit of a hug with Mohamed Elneny, and then he's walking off and he's complaining to somebody, I don't know who it is, he's looking at and he's talking to somebody and he's like, it looks like he's giving out, for sure. I don't know what he's giving out really? about. Yeah, he just looks like he's having a you know a serious discussion. But you know he could be saying that was uh, yes, I'm very enjoyed that goal. That was splendid. But it did look like he was complaining, and I think it's just to do with the fact that he does have a bit of a resting bitch face. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that is just his nature. I think that is just his nature. Mm. Nothing, I mean, look, we know that there are things behind the scenes that he might not be entirely content with, but I think even if he was starting every week, I think he'd celebrate with the bitch face. Mm, for sure. Uh, um, right, I've got a rush, so we'll do one more quick one, shall we? Yeah, okay. Well, actually, uh, you, look, okay? have you got a quick one? I've just got a, a quick one here. I know you've got a rush, so we'll we'll do it very quickly. Uh, Mr. Pete at Pete Hines Eight wants to know what do you think about uh, Edu becoming sporting director when Arsene Wenger steps down? He's sporting director at Corinthians since 2011. We've got so many sporting directors. We've got Edu. We had Gilberto was doing it briefly, I believe. Uh, I think in Greece. Mm. Um, Robert Perez wants to be a sporting director. Mm. What was that sound? That was a guitar. <laughs> Here, no, it's, it's right. It's like. Are you uh, going to play something? I am my shite. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there are other sporting directors. Mark Overmars. Yeah. We don't really produce managers, but oh, the sporting directors. My goodness. Sensational. We are. Uh, so I think that I'd have them all. I'd have them all. I'd, I'd replace the entire board with Edu, uh, Gilberto, Overmars, Perez, and I don't know. Seagan, I think Seagan might be a sporting director somewhere. Actually, I yeah. might have made that up, but yeah, I think he might be. So, yeah, I, listen, I, I would love, 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 love to see a sporting director come aboard at Arsenal this season, and I would really love it to be someone who had some affiliation with the club. Mm. Um, if I had to pick one, I think it would be Mark Overmars, simply because he's had plenty of experience at a big club in Europe, and right. I think that that will be useful. Right. Um, and also, I think that might lead to Dennis Burkamp coming back in some capacity. Sexy. Yeah. What about you? Do you want Edu back? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting uh, suggestion, isn't it? Because he's obviously been doing the job. Uh, you know, he knows he knows Arsenal uh, very well. Had a great time at the club when he was a player. I think a really underrated player as well. Um, I, I always liked him. You know, you just click with a player straight away, and it's like oh, yeah, I love me a bit of Edu. So yeah, that would be that would be great. Certainly, somebody whose names you you could throw into the mix. Uh, but of course, my choice would be uh, would be Robert Perez. Um, just, of course, just, just yeah. because, just because. All right, one quick yeah. one, and then we'll <laughs> let you go. 
Okay, quick one from me. Oh, I like this one. Um, I mean, it's a stupid hypothetical, but you know me. Um, Steve Moore, at Steve Moore 4116, said, uh, right now, would you swap Arsenal's 2015-16 and 16-17 seasons, so this season and last season, for Leicester's 2015-16 and 16-17 seasons? I mean... (laughs) Uh, I mean, Leicester are going to get relegated, I yeah. think. Um, That's mad, isn't it? It is mad. But then, of course, they won the league last season. So would, you know, winning the league and then doing the... I, I just feel like all the joy you would get from winning the league last season would be completely undone this season by the weight of righteous indignation and fury that would accompany every bad defeat and every every uh, poor result and every uh, terrible performance the way that Leicester have performed this season in the sense that, you know, uh, the players, you know, they would be uh, lacking spirit and character and, you know, where's your fight? You won the thing last season and now you've just given up, you know, killed them all kind of stuff. I don't know if I could cope with that, even if it meant yeah. winning the league last season um, but maybe that's what it's about maybe that's what it is maybe football is about the extremes one minute you're champion next minute you're relegated is, is that not what it is no it's not it's not what it is at all so uh, to answer the question I don't know <laughs> hang on maybe I'll uh, rather than answer the question I'll just you know yeah the question might as well have been, can you play the guitar? I don't know. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I do don't know. know but <laughs> well, now we all know. We Absolutely. All know. I definitely can. Um, I would... Uh, yeah, swap. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know... <sighs> It's a change, isn't it? it sure that's the is. problem with the world. That that's what people think. It's a change. Yeah, that's the problem with the world, Andrew. Well, I'm glad that we finally figured out what the problem with the world is. We'll have to discuss what the solution to that problem is on a, on another podcast because I know you have to leg it. So uh, we'll leave it there. We'll have an Arscast on Friday to discuss the uh, no game that's coming up at the weekend, or maybe we won't have an Arscast. Anyway, we'll figure that out uh, later in the week. Uh, we'll have an Arscast extra next Monday. Until then, have a good one. Bye bye. holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply Thank you.